I really hope that somewhere in Hutchinson, Kansas, there is a family with a son who is now about 18 years old that has frequently told him this story. The child, who's now 18, was then about seven months old, and he had just started to eat some solid food. He was a really squirmy baby, and he had this habit of making noises at kind of unexpected times, as babies do. So the parents, who were very young, in their early 20s, they were really nervous that everything go right on that day. They'd planned everything out. They made sure the baby had his mid-morning nap. They got to church nice and early for the 11 o'clock service so they could change and feed him before worship started. I came into the sanctuary early to talk through the last-minute logistics of the baptism. They were seated up in the front of the sanctuary, grandparents and aunts and uncles filling up two whole pews. So we sang the opening hymn and prayed the opening prayer, and the mother, mother and father, when I invited them, walked up the center aisle, up the plush red carpet, carrying their son. They came up the chancel steps and stood next to me on what was a slate tile chancel right next to the baptismal font. The baby was in this beautiful christening gown, a family heirloom that had been handed down through generations, white and trimmed with lace. He was smiling. He was happy. The parents had given him this small piece of apple to keep his mouth busy and quiet during the questions and the prayer before the sacrament. He was rolling it around in his mouth. He was gumming it. He was content. I asked them, as you just saw me do, I asked them if on behalf of their baby son they would resist evil and injustice in whatever forms they saw in the world, and they said yes. And I asked them on behalf of their baby son, would they affirm their belief and their commitment to Jesus Christ and their desire to be his disciples? And they said, yes. And I went to the altar to get the pitcher of water. And when I came back and was about to pour the water into the baptismal font, the baby still smiling, projectile vomited milk all over the chancel steps. Amazingly, he missed his own christening gown and his father's pants. <laughs> the parents' faces, you can imagine, registered horror. The congregation erupted in laughter. I was immediately grateful he'd done it in those seconds before his father handed him to me. <laughs> we continued the baptism. And the precious baby was washed in the waters of grace. He was made a part of the Christian family. He was marked and he was claimed by God. And we cleaned up the steps later. <laughs> now, I hope when the parents tell him that story, that they all remember together that we cannot make such a mess as to stamp out the joy of baptism. You know, there's no trouble in the world that the power of God can't clean up. No stain, no shame we carry that the power of God's grace can't come cover over and make new. I hope when they tell that story, they all laugh. And then they remember the goodness of God that restores us and redeems us. This is a foundational piece of our Christian faith that you and I share in the baptism of Jesus. Christians get baptized we repeat this one scene from Jesus' life for each and every new Christian person. And it's been that way from the very beginning of the movement. One of our most ancient practices is a church stretching back into the recesses of sacred ministry. As we share in baptism, we find our own share in Jesus' identity and inheritance. Paul says that in baptism, we put on Christ. We put on Christ. This means putting on his characteristics 
his identity as a child of God, his mission to the world. Now, as we just heard, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that before Jesus even started his public ministry, when he was just another guy growing up in northern Galilee, there was another man named John who was out baptizing people in the River Jordan, asking them to repent of their sins. And, and John would dunk them down in the river as a sign of their forgiveness. That ritual, it, it was a way to show that they were washed of their transgressions. They were washed. In Greek, that word is baptizo. Baptizo. One day, Jesus, he came to the riverbank. He asked to be baptized. John didn't want to do it, but Jesus persisted, and so John agreed. And what transpired next was unlike any other baptism that John had done. Jesus, he came up out of the water, and the, the air was so filled with signs of blessing, something that looked like a dove, but was actually the very Holy Spirit of God came down out of the sky. And, and that sense of blessing, it was so thick, it, it was like they, they heard a voice ring out. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. For Jesus, it was a moment of inauguration. It was a commissioning that sent him out into his public ministry. It was an encounter with God that filled him up with the Holy Spirit and sent him out to change the world. And very, very quickly in the history of the church, Christian people felt that Jesus' baptism was so important that all of his followers should be baptized as well. You know, in fact, this is how archaeologists often recognize when they come upon ancient ruins. They recognize it's a church because they find a baptismal font, which is usually an octagonal pool built into the floor of the building. Octagonal, eight-sided, because Christians, early Christians would say that Jesus was raised on the eighth day of the week. He was raised on the eighth day, a day outside of time. So eight sides to signify resurrection. That's like your Jeopardy trivia moment for the morning, okay? And keep a hold of that one for when you're on Jeopardy. But for 2,000 years now, Christians have been practicing baptism as an integral part of following Jesus. One of my professors in seminary loved to tell this story from now long ago, but so beautiful, uh, another day when he witnessed a, an infant's baptism. Dr. Saliers would tell this story. You picture a church just like we, we did ourselves, people dressed up in their brightest and their best, sitting quietly through the liturgy. The time comes for the baptism. The pastor asks for the parents to bring the infant forward, and they, they're sitting about halfway back in the sanctuary, and they, they rise from their pew and walk out into the center aisle, and they bring along with them the three-year-old big brother of the baby to be baptized. The big brother, he looks up from the middle of the aisle and he sees standing up at the font a friend of his, the associate pastor. And before the parents can stop him, he's headed toward the front, running at full speed down the aisle. He reaches the front of the church and leaps up into the air and the pastor catches him, enfolding the child in his arms. The church erupts with laughter for they have just seen baptismal grace. The older brother made visible what would happen invisibly to his baby sister just moments later. The older brother made real for everyone what it looks like to be welcomed and embraced by God's love. Baptism is an essential part of discipleship, not essential because it's a litmus test or a hazing ritual. It's essential because it's been experienced throughout time to be a reliable way that God dispenses grace to us. Baptism is above all an act of grace, a moment when God's love rains down on us and washes over us and brings healing and mercy and release. 
It's a moment of transformation, a moment about starting anew as a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the funny thing. You don't have to be aware for all that to happen because baptism is God's act alone. It's not required that we feel any particular thing uh, or even that we're overwhelmed with a sense of sacredness. You might find that kind of funny for me to say, but baptism can work. It can be effective even if the person receiving it doesn't feel a thing in the moment. Hopefully, hopefully, whenever we baptize someone, the person being baptized or the parents uh, or bringing them does feel a sense of God close at hand and feels a fresh God's love, but it's not required. If for some reason the parents are distracted, like, for instance, if they're still mortified that their baby just threw up on the chancel, it's okay, <laughs> God doesn't need us to feel a certain way in order to give us grace. Did you hear that? God doesn't need us to feel a certain way in order to give us grace. And the truth about baptism is it's, it's a holy and special moment, but it's more than just a moment. right? It's a, it's a gift that, that's ongoing in our lives, a love that's ongoing, an invitation to let go of the past that's ongoing. So if it takes a few days or a few weeks or a few months, or a few years, to feel the fullness of what happened in your baptism, that is just fine. Now, as I said, all Christians baptize people, but we don't all agree on the theology and practice surrounding it. So I just want to take a minute to remind you about how our United Methodist tradition understands and celebrates baptism. First of all, we only do it once. And if a person has received baptism from any other Christian church at any other time, we don't repeat it. Baptism is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. For all those kids that we just baptized, this is it for them. It doesn't matter how old you were. It doesn't matter how crazy the circumstances. It doesn't matter how much you dislike the people who officiated at it, okay? <laughs> or how strongly you feel like you really were converted and met Jesus decades after you were baptized. It doesn't matter how impossible it is for you to remember it happening. We do not baptize a second time. Now, I know there are some folks in the United Methodist Church, and there are probably people sitting right here who have been baptized more than once in their lives. It's not that you did something horribly wrong, okay? You're not in trouble. It's okay. Some churches, they really insist on baptizing you themselves, especially if, according to them, the first time you weren't the right age or it wasn't done in the right way or whatever. But the United Methodist Church holds, and, and I believe, that that second time or that third time or goodness, even that fourth time, it wasn't necessary, okay? You had the full measure of God's grace the first time around. Secondly, it doesn't matter how old you are when baptism happens. And because of that, it doesn't matter if you can fully give assent to what's happening. Here's the thing, grace is not dependent on your ability to say yes. If it was, we would be the ones in control, and we're not. God's the one in control. God gives grace in a mysterious way that's, that's beyond our understanding. So even if you're a fully rational adult, if you have a PhD in theology, you can't wrap your mind completely around what's happening in the powerful act of baptism. It's a gift, it's sacred, it's a mystery, and none of us can fully understand it. So there's not some magic line where you're understanding or not understanding on either side of that line. It's an open sacrament to all. So we baptize children, and people unable to answer for themselves. 
we understand that God's grace is just available to them as to anyone else that might come. Now, there might be some people here who are waiting to have their children baptized. Maybe you want to wait until they can understand what's going on. And that's fine. That's a fine choice. If someone's 10 or 14 or 20 when they're baptized, they're going to have memories of it, unlike an infant. But it's not necessary to wait for the child to be able to say something specific about God. Right? It's always beyond our ability to explain it. We receive it as a gift from God. Finally, it does not matter how much water we use. One drop is as good as a whole river full. But I did like that Pastor Bellarmi made a mess up here. I like, <laughs> I like the overflowing water, but it doesn't matter. Because God is able to do in a small amount the exact same thing God can do with a whole swimming pool full of water. The amount of water doesn't matter. We use the water as an outward sign of an inward gift of God's grace. So if a per person desires, I would be happy to baptize by immersion. Uh, but we know that God's love is just as available in a few drops of water on the head. Sometimes people ask me, Pastor Amy, do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? Do you have to be baptized in order to receive God's gift of salvation? And in a word, no. Okay, God's gift of grace is available to all. And when God will, will bring us into glory, that's up to God. Okay, God gets to choose how God does that. It's not dependent on an act uh, in the church. But, but we have been given this gift of baptism something that Jesus himself did, something that he asked his disciples to repeat for everyone who believes in his power to save. We've been given this gift of baptism as an essential part of our faith, and it has the power to anchor us, and it has the power to empower us like nothing else can. So unless there's a, a good reason not to be baptized, Christians should always receive it. It anchors us because it reminds us that we belong. Baptism reminds us that we belong to God and we belong to one another. We wear the waters of baptism as a sign of both of those things. It's sort of like the ring that many of you have on the third finger of your left hand right now. Why are you wearing that today? It's to signify to the world that your heart belongs to your spouse. Right? My ring is a sign of the love that Matt has promised and given to me. And he wears a ring as the sign of the love that I have promised and given to him. The waters of baptism that you all touch today, that is a sign of the love that God has promised and given to you. But not just to us as individuals, to us as a church family. And we do baptism in public always because it's a moment of incorporation into this family we call the church. Baptism says you belong to God but it also says you belong here. You are a part of us. And we promise to uphold you in your baptismal vows. Baptism here in worship, it says that we cherish you and we want you here and we call you family and we want to live life with you and we want to grow in faith with you. And together, as one body, as one family, as one group of people who've been washed by the waters of grace, we intend to make a difference in the world. We're going to do that first by loving God with our whole hearts. Second, by loving each other to the best of our ability. And third, by reaching out into the world to help the hurting, to seek justice, to share the good news of God's love wherever we can. That's why we're marked.
with the sign of baptism. It reminds us of our security in God's love. It reminds us of our power to change the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.